as he was away. Um, when he asked me would I be available to step in for him, um, I was honored um, because, for one, this is now my third time here. I said, all right, praise the Lord. Because <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a gift to be invited once, uh, even more of a gift to be invited back. Uh, and so I'm grateful to be here with you on today. Um, I'm always excited when I have my family here with me. Uh, it's because of my family that I'm able to do what I do because they allow me the freedom to be who God has called me to be. And so I'm always thankful to have my family here with me. Uh, it's my beautiful wife, Lakinia. Uh, it's my girl. <laughs> uh, and I have my son, Nathan, and one of my daughters, Kanaya. We have another one in the back, and then my my oldest daughter is uh, worshiping with a friend this morning. So, uh, either way, I'm excited to be here with you. Um, and we're going to continue in the book of Romans. Woo! This Roman series is long. Uh, but we're going to continue in the book of Romans. And when I was thinking about it, um, I was looking at some different quotes uh, pertaining to the book of Romans. And, and uh, Martin Luther, he wrote something um, that I thought was so powerful. He said, Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as daily bread for the soul. He said it could never be read too much or pondered on too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, and it begins to taste better. Uh, and today, um, I'm going to ask you guys for just a little input um, as we go through um, the message on today. I know last week, Pastor Ricky talked about um, Paul's charge to the church, and I believe his final uh idea or, or his big thought for that was the best is yet to come. Uh, and he said our focus is on the mission. Uh, and so today, my, my, end result, my end result is to really drill down on the fact that as the church, we get to do this. We get to do this as the church. Uh, sometimes I'm baffled when I... Uh, talk to believers and they act as if we have to do this. We don't have to do anything. God has called us and sent us and so in order uh, we get to do this. It's a privilege to do his work. Uh, and when I began to think about vision statements, vision statements are important. Uh, they allow you to look beyond where you are at the current moment uh, but vision statements also give you an expected end result of what it's hoped for when it's all said and done. Uh, it's the vision that drives the mission. Uh, when a vision is clearly laid out for the people that agrees with it and decides to follow it, our natural 
response should be one of thankfulness that says we get to do this. Uh, let's, let's, let's look at a few vision statements. Bethel Hope, I'm so glad to be here with you this, this Sunday because I, I believe you guys celebrated a year last week. Man, y'all should be praising God. Bethel Hope, you made it a year. Look around the room. This ain't happening in East Texas, in case you didn't know. That's a lot to celebrate. So when we think about vision statements, I thought the first vision statement uh, for us to look at today would be one of Bethel Hope. It says, to be a church that pleases God. Not simply another church, but a genuine movement of missionaries living out the Great Commission through the empowerment of God's Spirit. A ministry that mirrors heaven. Multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multiplying, and fruitful. Now, I don't know about you, but Bethel Hope, I hope that you will see in your heart that's exactly what we get to do. Uh, I don't see my, my, my good friend Kevin East in the building today, but if you were to talk to Kevin East, and he was to talk to you about the mission of the Mentoring Alliance, and anybody that sat down with Kevin, I'm pretty sure he shared that mission with you. But it's to uh, exist, to, to, to mobilize godly people into the lives of kids and families uh, to provide tangible help and eternal hope. Now, anyone on that staff, on that board that comes alongside that ministry should get excited because that's exactly what they get to do. Uh, the ministry I get an opportunity to work for called Young Life. Our mission is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their faith. Now for us, as leadership, as staff, as, as volunteers, as anyone connected to that mission, we should get excited about that and say, that's exactly what we get to do. Uh, my vision statement for the Hill family is that our lives will impact all those we come in contact with for the glory of God. And I don't know about uh, if you have a vision statement for your family, but when I think about our lives, I get excited about that because that's exactly what we get to do. About two years ago, my family went from looking like this, you pull the picture up. About two years ago, my family went from looking like this to now looking like this. And so we knew what We'll come along with that. The constant stares, the ignorant comments, the people always stopping us to ask us, is everything okay? The people think we're trying to steal her out of Walmart. But we knew what we signed up for because this aligns 
with our mission statement. And then even in the midst of feeling inadequate to be able to do some of the things that God calls us to do, if we believe in the mission, then we ought to get excited because that's what we get to do. We have these situations come along, come along a lot. But it lines up with the mission and the vision that we believe in. And so as we look at today's text, my prayer is that we would take that same posture as believers that we get to do this. Uh, Romans chapter 11 had some sections that were difficult to understand. Man, I had an opportunity to speak on two of them here. And trust me, those passages were difficult. Uh, Romans 12, 1 through 8, had laid the, the doctrinal foundation of the justified, the sanctified, and the dedicated Christian life. Uh, in the scripture that we're going to go to today in Romans 12, uh, verse 9 through 21, is a little different from chapters 1 through 11 because it's really not that difficult to understand but these verses are difficult to live because they're all about relationships. And Paul focuses on specific ways in which believers to live their lives in obedience to God's word, to the glory of his name. And these verses is a call to practical living and sacrificial living. I once heard someone say that uh, we can have all the good theology but until that theology becomes practice, we don't have good theology at all. Let me rewind that and play that again. We can have all the good theology that we want. But until that theology becomes practice, we don't have good theology at all. And how many of you know that relationships can be challenging? And that's why most people shy away from it. Uh, if, if I have any friends in here that are, was, was fans of uh, Charlie Brown or the Peanuts, it was Linus that quoted this famous line. He says, I love mankind, but I can't stand people. Because relationships are hard. But as believers, that's what we've been called to. And so in Romans 12, 9 through 1, Paul gives us a comprehensive but not existive loss, uh, list of ways that we can put into practice what we as believers uh, believe. And so let's look at verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Abhort what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give good thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Behold, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. Somebody repeat after me. We get to do this. Uh, the first, the first uh, idea that Paul gives us is to let our love be genuine. I believe that love is the signature mark of the Christian. Matter of fact, he says in his word, is that's how the world will know that we are his disciples, by our love. I believe uh, that many of us have learned how to be courteous to others, uh, how to speak kindly to others, how to appear to take interest in people, and even show compassion towards their needs. But God is calling us to a genuine love that goes beyond being courteous and polite. Paul, in his text, is calling for agape love. This is the highest and purest form of love. Genuine agape love is without selfish agenda. It's a love that seeks the good of the beloved, and will pay whatever price is necessary to meet the, no, the, to meet the needs of those uh, that we're trying to provide this love to. Uh, love is more important to a Christian than any other spiritual gift that we have. Paul told the Corinthians to abide in faith, hope, and love, but he explained that the greatest of these three is love. Uh, it was uh, C.S. Lewis who quoted, love is not an affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. It was Francis Schaeffer who said, love is the final apologetic. It's the ultimate proof that the gospel is true. Sometimes people are more attracted to the Christian community for the love that they experience in it before they're attracted to the Christian gospel. Let me rewind that and play that again as well. Sometimes people are more attracted to the Christian community for the love that they experience in it before they are attracted to the Christian gospel. Uh, in Young Life, we use a term called earning the right to be heard. And so sometimes 
People can look at a community of Christians and want to be a part of it based on the genuine love that they see that we have for one another. But that also can be a deterrent to people when they come into a Christian environment and see the love that we don't have for one another. And that's why social media is so crucial. It hurts my heart when I watch believers go back and forth with one another on their comment line based on political things. Yeah, I'm going to go there today. Because from the outside looking in, there's a world that's looking at Christians and saying, if they can't even get along, why would I want to be a part of something like that? But I've also been in places where you see the love of Christians that is so genuine that it's contagious. And so Paul is saying to let our love be genuine. People need to see the gospel at work. Hospitality, generosity, sympathy, harmony. Like this is what the gospel brings to the life of a believer. We don't have to be uniform to be unified. And we also don't have to be the same to be one. We don't have to be uniform to be unified. And we don't have to be the same to be one. And so it's no wonder that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Because according to Scripture, God is love. And it's the love that flows from the heart of a genuine believer that has the power to draw people from death to life. We get to do this. And so the text goes on, and I'm not going to hit on all of these things because it would take us all day, literally, to break down every single point that's on this list that Paul has given us. But when love is genuine, it allows us to harbor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. When love is genuine, it allows us to have brotherly affection for one another. When love is genuine, it allows us to outdo one another by showing honor. But here we get to verse 11, and it says, do not be lawful in zeal. Um, I'm not sure if, if you ever seen a sloth, but I'm going to give you the characteristics of a sloth. A sloth, sloths are the slowest animals in the world. They hang upside down in trees because it's too hard for them to move around on the ground where everything else is moving. And because of that, they're not visible to anything around them. They hang upside down in trees in their own little world while there's life moving all around them. Being slothful is not how we push forward the vision of Christ. Uh, my mentor, McLean Emanuel, God rest his soul, he once said that we do to the extent that we believe. We do to the extent that we believe. 
And let me be clear because I don't want to get my words twisted. I'm not talking about having a works-based faith. Uh, because uh, we don't do to be saved, we do because we're already saved. We don't do to be saved, we do because we're already saved. We don't do to earn God's favor, we do because we already had it. We don't do to earn God's favor, we do because we already have it, and we genuinely want people to experience what we get to experience walking with Christ. And so, um, genuine love aims at making another person's life better. If we are called to warm relations and, and good manners, then we're also called to do the hard work. And the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, is not a place for laziness. Uh, whatever it's worth doing in the Lord's service is worth doing with enthusiasm and care. Uh, whatever you find your hands to do, Solomon counseled, verily do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in the grave. So whatever we're going to do for the Lord, we must do it in this present life. So do not be slothful. I believe the church can choose one or two paths. The church can choose to be a church in the community, or the church can choose to be a church of the community. Because if you notice, sloths are in the environment, but they're not of the environment. And I don't know about you, but we can look around and we can see a church on every corner. Sometimes two or three churches on every corner. And we have all this darkness that is surrounding the church. And we go into the church to get our huddle on. We huddle. We create the place. But it got to be somebody that's willing to run the place. And so we could choose to be a church in the community or be a church of the community. And God is not just calling us to be a church in the community. I don't know about, like, when, when we, we go to jobs and we get this training, um, we get this training, sometimes they pull us in and we have someone that trains us up uh, in, our, in our first time. And then once we got it, they send us out to do the work on our own. Now, if we could do that in a corporate world, why can't we do that in the kingdom. This is the place, the church, the ecclesia, the place where the called out ones are come to be sent back out. And so we come to this place to come to the huddle, to get the playbook, to go outside and run the play. And so Bethel Hope, my prayer for you is that you will not just be a church in the community, but that you will be a church of the community. Why? Because the community is surrounded by darkness. And only light can drive that out. And so Paul is speaking to the believers saying, be fervent. Display some passionate intensity in the spirit. A dead person can't wake no one up. He said, be alive in your faith. You are no longer walking in death, but you're walking in life. And I don't know, but our, my God is alive because he lives within me and he lives within you. And so when people look at us, they should see life in us. 
Paul is saying, be fervent. He's saying, serve the Lord. This has everything to do with perspective and priority. I get tired of hearing people talk about this next generation. All these young people are so lost. They ain't got no respect. They don't know, well, who are the ones teaching them? I, I, I hear people all the time. I'm, I'm constantly trying to recruit people to come do, come do ministry with us, man. We, we are where the people are. We're not waiting for them to come to us. So we show up on campus. The one thing I see, man, Friday nights, the football games in East Texas is crowded. But Monday through Friday, the hallways is empty. And so I remember I always trying to recruit people to come, man, come, come serve with us. There's so many kids that need a believer in their life. And, I, and it bothers me when I hear people say, man, I just don't have time. Well, truth be told, none of us have time. We make time. Because it's about perspective and priority. And if the people outside of the church is the priority, then our perspective somewhere down the line has to shift. Because believers have to be in the midst. And so Paul is saying, serve the Lord. He said, rejoice in hope. Y'all do know we need hope to survive, right? Hopeless people don't survive. We see it every day. Somewhere down the line, someone lost hope, and so they decided to take their own life. Like, we need hope to survive. And with it, we can be patient in our tribulation. And it allows us to be constant in prayer. Hope also allows us to contribute to the needs of the saints and to show hospitality. Both joy and hope are frequent themes in the New Testament. And even though the life of the early Christians was not easy, people looking at the church from the outside in, even today, are puzzled by the hope and the joy that they find there. Hopeful Christians uh, often lack that the, the things that the world thinks that we should have. And people are puzzled when they look at the life of the Christian believer. Because when they see a Christian believer that may not have the money or the power or the prestige, they're blown away by the fact that we have this, this hope. Because the world is looking for hope and joy and peace and all these other things. How many of you know joy is a fruit of the Spirit? It can only come from one source. And so we can search for it everywhere. And we will come up short because it only comes from one source. And so the Christian finds joy in the insurance, assurance, that our lives count, not just for here, but also for eternity. Bet the hope we get to do this. We get to live this out. And then as uh, Paul uh, walks us through these things that are hard, it seems like he pushes us even deeper in verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you. 
Good Lord. Bless them and do not curse them. I got to be honest with y'all. As I was studying this text, this was the place I got stuck at. What does it look like to bless someone who persecutes you? As I was stuck in this text, this scripture became real to me a few days ago. We went to court for a child, one that was in the picture, that we've had with us for two years. The last year, her parents have been MIA. No phone call, no text, no money sent, no pictures, no nothing. We had a mediation that we were supposed to go by to help with a transition period for her to go back to her biological family. And that's when they dipped. Sorry, y'all. My young wife said, and that's when they left. <laughs> uh, uh, switch the neck um, but, but that's that. And then they showed up to court together. As if nothing that went wrong. And we watched them get on the stand and lie about everything. My wife had to sit there, my wife and I had to sit there and watch them try to assassinate our character. Try to downplay our lives. Try to make us out to be the bad guy. And do you know how hard it is to sit there and not even try to defend yourself? If I'm honest, my wife had to look at me a few times and say, fix your face. Uh, because I was, I was visibly mad. I felt betrayed. I felt violated. I felt all of those things. But then it was in that moment that suddenly I began to feel compassion. I began to feel compassion in the midst of being persecuted because I thought what it was like to live life, to live life without Christ in my life. And I thought about the fact that when I didn't have Christ in my life, this probably would have been the same approach that I would have took. And so I began to have this compassion in my heart that says, you know what, I don't need to avenge myself. Because the Lord knows every single thing that we have done. And so I don't need to speak up for myself because he's working on my behalf. And so in that moment, my thoughts began to shift from me and began to shift to them. And I began to pray the Lord touch their hearts. Because at the end of the day, if they come to Christ and their hearts is transformed and their minds is renewed, then that little baby gets the benefit. And so the goal is not for me to defend myself. I said, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to hope the best for their lives. 
I'm going to pray that God will enrichly bless their lives. To bless the ones means to speak well of them. To curse them means to speak evil of them. To bless someone means to pass on the goodness of God to them. But it was in that moment when I began to realize that this scripture was real now. For a question was asked in Luke 23, verses 32 through 33, uh, it was asked, it says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that, is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And as believers, we are not called to do what's common like others. The best shot we have in giving attractive witness today to the world is doing something radically different. Namely, loving people where they are. We get to live in a manner that causes others around us to wonder why. That's the same wonder that led me to the feet of Christ. Because I would see people who say they were believers, but their lives show something different. There's no fruit. But then there was a man that I met and his life looked drastically different. And he began to show up in my world and not judge me for the way that I was living. He never condemned me. He just simply showed up and did life with me where I was at. And there was something about his life. Now I realize it was the Holy Spirit that was living within him. But it was something within his life that led me to say, man, I wonder how he lives like this. I wonder what is it that make him not get so upset at things that I would be totally upset about. But it was that wonder in the way that he lived and because I was connected with him, it was something that led me to Christ through the wonder that I saw in him. And so in verse 18, uh, Paul asserts two qualifications. He says, if it is possible. <laughs> and so far as it depends on you. There are unfortunately times when people would not allow us to live in peace with them. And Paul does not require that we uh, live in peace with them. He requires that we do our part to establish peace. He doesn't hold us responsible for the response that others give to our efforts because we can't control other people. The only people we can control is ourselves. And so, um, Paul goes on to say, and I'm going to read the rest of this verse and then I'm going to close. Uh, verse 19. The love never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. 
to the contrary. Your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. What a portrait of what we get to do as believers. What a countercultural uh, approach to what we get to do as believers. If you look at it, this is really a portrait of Jesus. Jesus loved the church. He loved us. He loved us to death. And so when we look at all of these things that are laid out in Romans 12, 9 through 21, it's really a portrait of Jesus. Jesus loved us with a genuine love, not with a religious pretense, but, but through words and actions. Jesus hates what is evil and loves what is good died for evil people to make them good. Jesus loved brothers and sisters with brotherly affection. He washed their feet. Jesus was dishonored that we may be honored. Jesus was a man of zeal. He took up the song, zeal for the house has consumed me. Jesus endured the cross endured tribulation, and was constant in prayer. Even on the cross, he was praying for his enemies. Jesus was generous. He became poor, and he gave up heaven for a cross that we might be rich in him. Jesus has shown us hospitality, the friend of sinners, preparing a place for us. Jesus loved his enemies. He didn't have a sword in his hand, but he had nails in him. And he still prayed for him. Jesus rejoiced with those rejoicing at a wedding, turning water into wine. And he wept with those who wept. Like his friend Lazarus. Jesus unites people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And Jesus associates with the lowly. He took a repentant thief to paradise with him. And he also associates with us. He died for us. We who broke his great commandment of love. He has forgiven us. He has placed us into a new family. He has given us new life and the Spirit's power to love the family of God in this broken world. So what I say to you today, Bethel Hope, let's honor our King with our attitudes and actions. We get to live this out. This is not a have to, 
we get to. William Wilberforce, slave abolitionist, once says, treat Christians consider themselves not as satisfying some rigorous federal, but as discharging a debt of gratitude. out of the gratefulness of what he saved us from he saved us too that we get to live this life out let me pray for us Father God we we thank you we thank you that we get to live out our Christian lives on display we thank you that you have placed in us your spirit of love, your spirit of compassion, your spirit of hope, your spirit of joy. Father, I pray that from this day forward that we would not be a church in the community we would be a church of the community. That we could be hope on display to all those we come in contact with. Thank you for your steadfast love. Continue to lead us. Continue to guide us. Continue to lead us to people and need to know who you are. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There may be one here today uh, that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. It may be a soft tug on your heart that says, I need to know. I need to know this man named Jesus. And so we invite you to do so. I'm not sure how you guys do here, but I believe some elders on the side. Uh, and they love to meet you. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that thou should confess with thy mouth and believe in thy heart that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, you shall be saved. In that moment, don't care what you've done yesterday, don't want you to care what you did 10 minutes ago. Confessing them with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is dead, died, and risen for you. In that moment, you are saved. So if there's any harm, I'm going to give you the opportunity have a conversation with one of the elders standing on the side. You uh, may say, I don't have a church home. And I want Bethel Hope to be my church home. I believe that this is a family that will embrace you. And show the genuine love that we just talked about. Talk with the elders on the side about that as well. And you may say, I just need prayer. If 
pray for you. We believe the prayers of the righteous build much. And if that's you today, I want to give you the opportunity. Some might say, yeah, I do want to do one of those things or maybe even all of them, but I don't want to get up just because people might stare at me. You see these two men standing on the side, and I ask you to go speak with them after service. All standing. Again, we want to pray for Pastor and his family as they're out. Pray that the Lord continue to be with them. Uh, they're tied together. They create many memories. Master, raise your hand and repeat after me. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. God loves you and so do I. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.